0: When sharing your faith with a Latter-day Saint, it helps to know what their church has taught on several basic topics. For this reason, Mormonism Research Ministry has provided its Crash Course Mormonism. Crash Course Mormonism includes concise articles highlighting what LDS leaders and church manuals have taught on issues that will probably come up in a typical conversation. You can find these informative articles at CrashCourseMormonism.com. That's CrashCourseMormonism.com.
1: Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. With me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Yesterday we began looking at an article that was posted on the LDSliving.com website. It's an article titled, 10 Reasons You Should Be a Mormon. It was written by a woman by the name of Stephanie Ruby Faldmo. As we mentioned yesterday, we're very certain that Stephanie is giving us some Reasons she feel are very important to her as a Latter-day Saint. And so we're going through these 10 points, critiquing them, and asking our Christian listeners, how would you respond to some of the points that Stephanie is making? And this is why we're going through this. Though you may feel they are pretty shallow reasons, a lot of what she says we hear Latter-day Saints asking of Christian believers. This is why you need to be a Mormon. Some of the reasons that she has posted are some of the same exact reasons that that we have heard LDS give to ourselves personally, as well as to other Christians who have come in contact with Latter-day Saints.
2: And the Bible does teach us that we're supposed to have an answer for everyone who asks us for the reason that, for the hope that we have. And so when these are brought out, we need to be able to explain why we believe the way we do and why we disagree, but to do that, according to 1 Peter 3, in gentleness and respects. So we want to remember that. These people are sincere. They really do believe these things, and we need to show love by saying, well, I, I happen to disagree, and that's what we're doing in this little
1: series. Exactly. Today, we start looking at point number three. The Book of Mormon is
2: MORE, in capital letters, Evidence of Christ. She writes, In a world of people with little to no faith in Jesus Christ, although there are many who do believe, it's such a blessing to have another testament of Jesus Christ in book form, just like the Bible. The Book of Mormon is a second witness that shows that Jesus is the Christ, and both can be read side by side to learn more about who He is and how we can become like Him. It rocks. Plus, It's easy to understand because it hasn't been translated a million different ways and times, only once. That's kind of an odd statement she
1: ends with. It's easy to understand because it hasn't been translated a million different ways and times, only once. I I think this exposes perhaps Stephanie's uh, basic understanding, though little, of how our Bible came to be. One of the difficulties that I have found with many Latter-day Saints is... They have a hard time understanding the Bible because it's written pretty much in the same kind of style as the Book of Mormon, which is in King James English. Now, why would they say that the Bible's difficult to understand when it's written in King James, but they don't have a problem with the Book of Mormon that's also written in a King James style? Yes. Even though I think that some of the words where Joseph Smith got away from the ancient King James language, he modernizes a little bit, which tells me that it shows it's more of a 19th century invention than anything else. There's not a lot of consistency with it. But when she says that um, we can learn who Jesus is, we don't have enough information in the New Testament to know who Jesus is. Really? We don't have enough information in the New Testament to know how we can be like him as far as how we can emulate his actions, his life of holiness and righteousness. We don't have enough of that in the New Testament, really? When I read the New Testament, I am sorely convicted of my shortcomings and how oftentimes I don't really emulate the person of Jesus because of my sinful nature and such. So I'm just kind of wondering, really, okay, so you have another book that talks about Jesus. Why do we really need that when we have 27 in the New Testament alone? Maybe she doesn't know the separation between the Gospels and the letters that comprise our New Testament. I'm assuming she does, but perhaps she doesn't.
2: I want to go back to this point you were making about the translation. And as far as the Book of Mormon is concerned, yes, it was only translated once by Joseph Smith, but does she realize the many changes that have been put into the Book of Mormon since it was first printed in 1830? As late as 1981, there were several thousand changes total that have been made, and I think that needs to be brought out.
1: Yeah, I wonder if Stephanie knows that, that the Book of Mormon that she's reading today was not the same Book of Mormon that Latter-day Saints were reading when Joseph Smith was alive. You make a very good point there, Eric, that there have been a lot of revisions that have been made to the Book of Mormon, and we will admit, many of them are minor, but there are some significant differences, especially when you try to tell people that the Book of Mormon was translated by the gift and power of God. Obviously, a lot of those later revisions, would not fall under that category. They're the revisions of men trying to make something clearer to people than they think it was originally. And what about the other translations? The translations into Spanish, the translations into Russia, yeah. the translation into Chinese, are those also translated by the gift and power of God?
2: I wrote an article on our website, mrm.org 10 Book of Mormon. It's an article titled, 10 Reasons Why the Book of Mormon is Rejected as Scripture by Christians. What I've done, Bill, is I've listed 10 reasons, one sentence, and then I've given links. You can go find more information on what I'm talking about. But let me just give a few of these, just to give you a reason why I reject the Book of Mormon. First of all, there's no archaeological support for this book. There's no evidence that Joseph Smith had the ability to translate such plates. The the plates would have been impossible to move for three miles, and we talked about that many times as far as the weight of the plates. Uh, As far as the weight of the gold, it would be about 200 pounds worth of gold. Uh, There were a number of changes made in the Book of Mormon after the original 1830 publishing, as we just mentioned. No manuscript evidence to support the existence of such a book because the plates supposedly were taken back. Uh, Nobody ever saw the plates with their physical eyes. Uh, There's no evidence that the people described in the Book of Mormon ever existed. These are all reasons why we cannot take the Book of Mormon as Scripture like the Mormon does. And
1: unfortunately, I don't think a lot of Mormons realize that these are important issues to us as Christians. If you're going to convince us that this book is worth putting our trust in, then certainly give us something other than, well, you feel good about it, or it rocks, or it maybe changed your life in a certain way. Another point I think that needs to be brought out is when we do look at the Book of Mormon, there are teachings in the Book of Mormon that flat out contradict what the New Testament teaches. Right. So we have to make a choice then. Well, is the New Testament inaccurate in those particular areas or is the Book of Mormon correct? And we would, of course, take the the position that the Book of Mormon is not accurate.
2: And at the same time, there are teachings in the Book of Mormon that are not found in Mormonism today, and many things left out. For instance, temples that are the most important things in Mormonism. You getting, And she talks about temples yeah, in her 10 points. It's not found in the Book of Mormon. And let's go to number four. Uh, it, she writes, we have no paid clergy. Most faiths have a paid bishop or pastor, and that's their life career. But out of our 14-plus million members worldwide, from the prophet to the bishops to the members, No one, in capital letters, is paid. It is because of our faith in Christ and in the order which God has used to create his church that we are all willing to volunteer much of our time to it. We also follow the commandment of tithing, where 10% of our income goes toward building churches and temples, feeding the poor, and other church organizations. Plus, the church is exactly the same everywhere in the world, as it should be. And then she writes this, a small aside. To help settle some disputes, I feel I should mention that a small stipend for living expenses is served to the prophet and apostles. However, most have retired from successful jobs when they are called. There are also jobs associated with the church media and such, but these are not callings. What I am getting at is that we don't have people that go to school to become prophets and apostles and bishops, and that becomes their job. They are called by God and volunteer their time to serve. Let me just say that I think her small aside
1: refutes her first paragraph. I mean, if you're going to say a small aside, then please don't say something that contradicts what you just said earlier, because in her first paragraph under section four, we have no paid clergy. She said, but out of our 14 plus million members worldwide, from the prophet to the bishops to the members, no one is Paid. Now, here's how she equivocates. Well, we're not going to call it a paycheck. We're not going to call it a payment. We're going to call it a stipend. But yet we know by looking at the missionary president's handbook, a lot of what the mission president receives as a volunteer are certainly a lot more than you and I receive as a volunteer. And I personally, to this day, Eric, I don't know how they get away with this, according to the IRS code, because certainly we are not afforded such benefits as missionaries to the Mormon people, that's for sure.
2: If you want to see the article that we wrote on this issue, you can just type in paid ministry on our website, mrm.org, and you can read all about that. But we have discovered that a mission president receives Starting six-figure salary if he's here in the United States, for sure.
1: Oh, yeah. And, and this manual lists all of the benefits they get, including flight fare for their children to come and visit them in such occasions, like, you know, cars and things like that. So when she says that that no one is paid, now it becomes really another game of semantics. And when she says, I feel I should mention that a small stipend for living expenses is served to the prophet and apostles," I thought that was clever how she said served and not paid, because that would refute what she just said earlier. She just uses a different word. I'd like to know, Stephanie, how do you know it's a small stipend? The only way you could know if it's a small stipend is if you had the numbers I've never seen these numbers myself, and I've, I study this every day. I don't know what those numbers are. For, for you to say that it is just a small stipend, I would have to assume that you have a number to go by in order to make that generality. If you don't, then I don't think it would be accurate for you to insist that they are receiving only a small
2: stipend. I wanna quickly comment on where she says that they don't have people that go to school to become prophets and apostles and bishops, and that becomes their job. Would she have any problem with Joseph Smith setting up a school of the prophets back in the early 1830s in Kirtland where he taught people how to how to become prophets? I,
1: I don't know, maybe she would, maybe she wouldn't. I, I would have to assume she knows about this. And if she knows about that, perhaps she should have been a little more clear in what she says in this paragraph.
2: This comes from LDS.org under School of the Prophets. It says in Kirtland, Ohio, during the winter of 1832 through 33, the Lord commanded Joseph Smith to to organize a school for the purpose of training the brethren in all things pertaining to the gospel and the kingdom of God. I'm wondering, why don't the Latter-day Saints do this today? Why don't they have a school of the prophets today? That's a
1: great question. And tomorrow we're going to continue looking at Stephanie Ruby Faldmo's 10 Reasons You Should Be a Mormon that was found on ldsliving.com.
0: You just listened to today's broadcast of Viewpoint on Mormonism. But did you know that you can hear previous shows at your convenience? The Viewpoint on Mormonism podcast is free on the Internet and will help you learn more about the LDS religion. Feel free to listen on your computer or download to your favorite listening device. Just go to MRM.org and click on the right side where it says On Air. All of our shows are here, so visit MRM.org today.